Talk RL podcast is all reinforcement learning all the time, featuring brilliant guests, both research and applied. Join the conversation on Twitter at Talk RL Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Chohan. Today, we're joined by Jacob Beck and Risto Borio, uh, PhD students at the Whiteson Research Lab, which is at University of Oxford. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jacob and Risto. Hey, thanks very much. Yeah, great to be here. We're here to talk about your new paper, uh, a survey of meta-reinforcement learning. So we have featured MetaRL on the show in the past, including uh, the head of your lab, Professor Shimon Whiteson, um, who covered Very Bad and more. That was episode 15. Sam Ritter in episode 24. Alexandra Faust in episode 25. Robert Lange in episode 31. Hope I'm not missing any. So we have uh, touched on this before, but never in this comprehensive way. Um, and this paper is just really a tour de force. Really excited to to get into this. So to start us off, can you uh, tell us how do you define meta RL? How do you like to define it? Yeah. So um, meta RL is learning to reinforcement learn at a most basic level. Um, so reinforcement learning is really slow and sample inefficient, as we all know, and meta reinforcement learning uses this slow reinforcement learning algorithm to learn a fast reinforcement learning algorithm for a particular domain of problems. And why, uh, why is meta RL uh, so important to you guys that you're willing to, to put all this work in to produce this giant paper? Why is it important to you and, and your lab? Yeah, so uh, as Jake hinted at there, there's like sample efficiency is a big issue in uh, reinforcement learning. And um, meta RL is then like a pretty direct way to try to tackle that question. So you can sort of, you, you can train an RL algorithm that then will be more sample efficient in the sort of test tasks you're interested in, if that makes sense. So I think that's the like big motivation. And then like also meta RL is like as a, problem it comes up a lot in in a, in subtle ways uh in when you're doing like complicated settings uh otherwise but maybe we'll get to that uh as we as we talk more and how uh does meta rl relate to say auto rl are those two things related so we were just talking about this um auto rl is any way you can automate a piece of the rl pipeline um and that could be you know learning it could be heuristics it could be other methods Meta RL specifically uh, is when you learn to do, to replace a particular component in the RL algorithm. So right, it's learning an RL algorithm as opposed to selecting a particular heuristic to do that. So in that sense, you can view Meta RL as a subset of uh, Auto RL. But Meta RL is also a problem setting. So as we mentioned in the paper, like a distribution of MDPs kind of defines the Meta RL problem. Um, and I think Auto RL isn't really a problem setting in that same sense. The meta-RL problem setting is really central, and, and that's kind of where most of this work comes from as well. So, yeah, and I feel like auto-RL just isn't, like, it, it can it can handle any task. You can, you can be, like, it doesn't have to be a particular setting where you would use that. Now, to help uh, ground this a little bit, you, you pointed to, in your paper, two classic meta-RL algorithms um, from back from the early days of DeepRL, which is really when I started reading uh, RL papers, uh, that the, and these two illustrate uh, some really important points that maybe can help us understand uh, these concepts going forward and for the audience. So you mentioned MAML, and that was from Berkeley back in 2017, and, and RL squared um, from back in 2016, and there was... That was a funny one because there was two papers that came out almost the same time from OpenAI and DeepMind that with very similar ideas. Um, but can you can you briefly describe these two um, just to get us get us grounded in this? How, how how do these what do these algorithms do and how do they work and how how are they very different as well? Uh, yeah, so let me start with Mammal and maybe uh, Jake can then explain R squared. So uh, Mammal is a I feel like very uh, sort of iconic meta-RL algorithm from, as you said, early days of meta-RL in the sort of deep RL wave. There's, uh, there's of course, like earlier works that do meta-RL from the 90s and so, but uh, I guess like the there's been a big jump in popularity more recently. So what MAML, MAML starts from, like, I think the intuition there is really the, the key to it. Like it's that um, in deep learning, we have pre-training is a big, big thing people do. Like you you train your convolutional neural net on image nets, and then you have some like, maybe like an application where you like, you want to classify 
uh, produce in the supermarket or something like that, which for which you have way less data. So what you can do is like use the pre-trained model and then fine tune it on that task you're interested in. And RL still doesn't have a lot of that. And especially in 2016, didn't have any of that. So like what MAML does is like, it takes this, uh, this question very explicitly, like whether we can use meta learning to produce a better initialization, uh, like a pre-trained pre network for that, that's then quick to fine tune for other tasks. So you essentially, you take a big distribution over tasks and then you train a network using any algorithm for your choice on those tasks. And then you backpropagate through that uh, learning algorithm to the initialization such that like the, the learning algorithm in the middle can make as fast progress as possible, if that makes sense. So that sounds a bit like a foundation model for your, but for your specific setting. Is that similar in, to that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, like, I think the, the mechanics work out quite differently, <laughs> but like, but the, the, the motivation is yeah. definitely there. Yeah, I think Risa did a good job of summarizing MAML. It, uh, I guess most simply put, it's just meta-learning via initialization. And kind of on the spectrum in the paper we talk about of generalization versus specialization, MAML is at one end of the spectrum. So it's just learning and initialization and the inner loop or the al algorithm that's actually uh, learned to do the, the fast learning reinforcement learning algorithm that's learned um, is all hard coded other than the initialization. And so from that, you can get certain properties like generalization to new tasks that you haven't seen during training. And at the other end of the spectrum, we have RL squared and L2RL which are both papers that came out around the same time doing roughly the same thing. Uh, so RL squared, I think, was Duan et al., and L2RL was Wang et al. Um, and the idea, more or less, in these papers is just the inner loop. So the reinforcement learning algorithm that you're learning uh, is entirely a black box. It's just a general function approximator. So you know it tends to be GRU or LSTM. That's kind of at the extreme other end of the spectrum from MAML. And so... Um... Where would you apply these these two different approaches, or can you talk about the the pros and cons of of this, the spectrum? Mammal really has found more popularity, I feel like, in the sort of few shot classification uh, setting. Uh, more recently, uh, like turns out actually doing MAML for reinforcement learning is really challenging. So I don't know if it's like a big baseline or anything anymore. But uh, like the nice thing about the 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 basic algorithm in Mammal is that since the inner loop, the algorithm you're learning is just usually a policy gradient meta, uh, policy gradient reinforcement learning algorithm. There's like some guarantees that it'll do reasonably well on any task you throw at it. Like so, um, even if your initialization was kind of off, like even if the task distribution you train it for isn't the one that where you eventually then deploy the initialization, there's still hope that the policy gradient algorithm will recover from that. Uh, so like it has this more sort of uh, a little bit better generalization performance than, than RL squared would have. And I would add to that the horizon also matters, right? So in MAML, you actually are computing a gradient. You're computing a policy gradient. So you need to collect some data for that. If your performance matters, you know, from the, set, the first time step of training, um, then RL squared is kind of more the algorithm you would use. Did did you have a clear idea of of how you would do this categorization and and how things would be organized before you did the paper, or is that something that really came about through a lot of careful thought and, and analyzing what you learned through through your readings? Yeah, I mean, we had a few false starts. <laughs> uh, it was kind of a mess at the beginning. We proposed a, we started by proposing a taxonomy of survey of uh, meta learning papers, and then we quickly realized that the literature just didn't really reflect the taxonomy we had. Um, just sat down and thought of. <laughs> so uh, we had to kind of reorganize based on what the literature reflected. So the main clusters of literature, and then we had to be pretty careful about divvying up work um, within each of those. In retrospect, I think these these the the structure is kind of what you would find from the literature, but we definitely didn't start from this one. Cool. So let's get into the different settings that your paper mentions, uh, where our meta RL can be applied. Do you want to um you want to cover the the main settings? Can you give us a brief description of or an example of of um, what that setting would look like? Yeah, so uh well let me just get started here. So like uh we have 
two axes along which we uh, distinguish these metaro uh, problems. So there's uh, zero or few shots versus many shot. So that has to do with the horizon of the task in the inner loop. So if you have something where you, as, as Jake mentioned earlier, if you have something where you want, want your agent to make as much progress as possible from the first time step it's deployed in the environment, then you're kind of in this zero or few shot regime. And usually those are tasks where you um, then are also expected to do really well after like, you know, a small number of steps. So this could be like, originally these were the kinds of things where you have um, maybe a Mujoko environment where you have like a cheetah robot running around and you need to decide which way to run with the cheetah. Like that would be sort of a canonical early task from there. And they're more complicated now, but like that's sort of roughly the order of like size we're thinking here. And then many shot is more um, about learning the whole, like learning a sort of long running RL algorithm in the inner loop. So something you can think of like, you would want to meta learn an algorithm that you can then use to update your policy like 10,000 times. So it could be, it could be 10,000 episodes. It could be like a, you know, hours or days long training run, then using the learned uh, meta learning algorithm or a learned reinforcement learning algorithm, the inner loop of the meta learning algorithm. So in that case, you're not worried about performance uh, in the beginning? Yeah, basically, right. Like you would, you would assume that you essentially start from like a really random policy and then you just try to, of course, you still try to make as fast progress as possible. But like if it's, if the inner loop is modeled after, let's say, policy gradient algorithm, then you're going to need need some amount of samples just to get like a reasonable gradient estimate uh, for the update. So it won't get started like in any kind of zero shot manner for sure. Okay, so you're not um, you're not evaluating it. Test time doesn't start right away. Is that what you're saying? Or... Yeah, usually you would uh, evaluate the the policy after like, uh, you know, hundreds up to thousands or tens of thousands of updates. The goal of that setting can be stated as learning a traditional RL algorithm. Then the other axis of that setting is the like whether we're dealing with a single task or a multitask setting. And like this is kind of this is like a trippy thing, I guess. Like it, this isn't something that is super often discussed in the in especially in in some uh, parts of the meta RL literature. But the but the uh, single task case is still very interesting, and it it actually does. The methods are very similar between the many shot multitask setting. So where you would have like a big task distribution of well, distribution of tasks, and then you're trying to learn that like traditional RL algorithm inner, inner loop. Turns out you can actually just grab that algorithm, the, the meta learning algorithm, and run it on a single RL task essentially and still get reasonably good performance. So you can get like, you know, you can train agents on Atari where you actually meta-learned the objective function uh, for for the uh, uh, the policy gradient that's then updating your policy just on that single task. But uh, oh yeah, and I guess one important thing here is that there really isn't like a few shot single task setting because there, there needs to be like some source of uh, transfer, I guess. Like you need to have, uh, in if, if you have multiple tasks, then you kind of like what you do is like you train on train on the distribution of tasks, and then you maybe have a held out set of test tasks for which you try to like where you test whether your learning algorithm works really well. Uh, if you're in the long horizon setting, uh, in the many shot setting, then you can like. Like the single task, you can compare it to just the kind of vanilla RL algorithm uh, you would run over that. But there, like a zero shot single task setting, there isn't like anything that it doesn't like, it, you can't really test it on anything. Like, and there's no, there's not enough room for meta learning. No, it's, it's a pretty difficult concept to explain. So I think you did a good job. But uh, what you said basically is that, right, in the, um, multitask setting, you're transferring from one set of MDPs to a new MDP at test time. In the single task setting, <clears throat> what you're doing is transferring from one part of a single lifetime in one MDP to another part of that same lifetime in the same MDP. So you have to have some notion of time for that to occur over. 
Awesome. I actually was going to ask you about that, just like a missing square in the quadrant, right? And uh, so that totally makes sense. So then you talked about uh, different um, approaches for the the different uh, settings. Do you want to um, touch on 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 the, some of the most important of those? So I guess as we mentioned, Mammal uh, was kind of the uh, prototypical algorithm in the PPG setting, but you can also imagine um, you can add additional parameters to tune other than just the initialization. So you can do the learning rate. Um, you can learn some kind of like curvature matrix uh, that modifies your gradient. Um, you can learn the whole distribution for your initialization instead of just a single point estimate for initialization. Um, and it's kind of a whole family of things that build on MAML. Uh, and the inner loop, the only thing that's consistent between them is the inner loop involves a policy gradient. So we called those uh, PPG uh, methods or PPG algorithms for parameterized policy gradient. And that's kind of the first category of methods we talk about in the few shot setting. And did you guys coin that uh, coin that phrase PPG? We're trying to. <laughs> cool, I like it. Thank you, thank you. So yeah, that's that's the PPG setting. And then the other, there's two other main uh, types of methods in the few shot setting. There's black box, and the main example of a prototypical algorithm in that setting would be RL squared. Um, but you can also replace that black box with many different architectures, transformers, and other forms of attention, other memory mechanisms. Um, and so there's a whole category of black box algorithms. And then I guess the only one we haven't really touched on yet is task inference methods. So the idea here is a little more nuanced, but uh, meta learning, as we, as we mentioned, considers a distribution of MDPs, also known as tasks. Um, what's different about the meta learning setting from the multitask setting is you don't know what task you're in. So you actually have to explore together to gain data to figure out, hey, I'm in, you know, I'm supposed to run 10 miles per hour instead of five miles per hour. Or I'm supposed to navigate to this part of the maze as opposed to this part of the maze. Um, and you can frame, you know, uh, the setting as task inference. So I think Humplick et al, one of the early papers that pointed this out, uh, if you can figure out what task you're in, you've reduced your setting to the multitask setting and you've made the problem much easier. And so that kind of gave rise to a whole bunch of methods around task inference. So is that the scenario where you may have a simulator that has a bunch of knobs on it and uh, and then your agent just has to figure out what are those what are the settings on the knobs for the environment? Yeah, I mean, you, more or less, right? You can consider your environment parameterized by some context vector uh, and you have to figure out what those parameters are. And then you can assume maybe that once you know those parameters, you have a reasonable policy already ready to go for that set of parameters. Um, I think Shimon, maybe even on this podcast at one point, pointed out um, that like if you can figure out what MDP you're in, you don't even need to do learning anymore, right? You can just do planning. Um, if you know the MDP, you don't need to do any more learning at that point. Right. That's a really important observation. Right. So, and then we also have the many shot setting where um, this would um, there's like two. I guess like the major categories of things to think here are the single task and multitask many shot uh, problems. Uh, the, the, the methods for both single task and multitask end up being quite similar. So the, the kinds of things that people learn in the inner loop. So, okay, let me try to like be clearer about, uh, the many shot, shot setting one more time here. So basically the, the basic, the structure is that you take your policy, policy graded algorithm, um, A to C or whatever, uh, and then you put some parameters to the loss function there. So maybe you have an intrinsic reward function or an auxiliary task or um, some something of that flavor. And then um, you tune, like uh, you change the parameters of that uh, loss function uh, with the meta learner. So there's this sort of outer loop meta learner that computes the gradient through the updated policy into the loss function parameters and changes those so that you get better performance from the uh, from the agent. And so th this this idea applies to both like the single task and uh, multi-task setting. Um, and I, I think one of the like important topics there would then be like, uh, you know, what is the what is the um, algorithm you're building on top of? Like, what is the inner loop like base algorithm, and what is the way you're optimizing that, and those kinds of things. And then the sort of things that you learn there are these. Um, you often like engine rewards is pretty big. Auxiliary tasks. You could have like you could have a more general parameterization of the RL objective function in the inner loop. So there's 
kind of uh, algorithms that just uh, parameterize that very generally. And then uh, one one other thought people have considered is like learning hierarchies. So um, you do like hierarchical RO, maybe option discovery, for example, could be done in this like long um, many shot meta RL setting. When I think of like one item on this list, like intrinsic rewards, I, I remember when uh, Patak, you know, came out with this curiosity um, intrinsic reward and did that study. And, uh, and I think his agent, his agent had like billions of steps for the curiosity to really um, do its thing. And that was not in MetaRL, that was just in straight RL. So when I think about doing this in a loop, it seems like it could be maybe massively expensive. Like how do you think about the cost of these, of these algorithms and when it actually uh, makes sense economically or, or just when it makes sense to, to use these methods? And, and, how, and how expensive are they? Do you have a sense of that? Yeah, that's a great question. Sort of for the few shot learning setting, it's not really hugely different from um, just uh, training a, a, um, a, a like agent that can generally solve uh, it, it, that, uh, tasks of that flavor. Like I would say that the meta RL part there isn't like there's of course like an upfront cost to training the uh, meta learner, but then like uh, the test time it should be very efficient i think the like big costs come out in the many shot setting where you like you, you're trying to train a full uh rl algorithm in the inner loop and then uh just the getting like being able to optimize that 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 can take a whole lot of samples for sure uh there's the trick there is that these algorithms can generalize quite a bit. So there's a paper by, um, uh, I think it's Junior O and others from Defined, where they train an, train an inner loop algorithm that uh, is trained on like essentially grid worlds and bandits and those kinds of things. Uh, and so they're training the inner loop objective on, on very simple environments. And it still takes a whole lot of samples. Like it takes, uh, I think like billions of uh, frames, but in very simple environments at least. And then they transfer that and show that it actually can generalize to Atari and produce like roughly original DQ and level level performance there, which is pretty impressive to me. But I mean, like, yeah, it's a it's a it's a, it's the most expensive Atari agent of that uh, that uh, performance <laughs> level for sure. Uh, one thing I don't know if the question was intended to be this specific, but you mentioned it took a while takes a while for the curiosity based rewards to do their thing. Recent knows a lot more about this setting than I do, but I, my understanding is that generally for the intrinsic rewards, you don't actually try and meta-learn the propagation through the critic. So you could like, you know, the meta-learned reward would be useful in the n-step return or like the TD Lambda estimate, but I don't think you're actually meta-learning how to propagate that information through the critic. Is that right, Risto? Would that change the cost too much? I feel like they probably don't, but I, would it actually, like, it's just a couple of extra, a little bit more memory cost in the backward pass, but it doesn't seem like critical. I'm not sure. Sure, sure, sure. But like, you don't need to do like many steps of value iteration to try and figure out the effects of that through that process. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, it's a huge approximation in all kinds of way ways to uh, compute the update for your intrinsic rewards. And 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 one critical thing that uh, the algorithms in that setting often do is that, in some sense, you if you're in the many shots multitask setting, you want the intrinsic reward or whatever you're training uh, that would produce the best end performance of the agent. When you train train a new agent from scratch using that learned objective function, you want like the, you know, however long is your training horizon, the best agent to like, you want the agent that, you want the, uh, last function that produces the best agent at convergence. But of course, like backpropagating through the whole long optimization horizon uh, in the inner loop would be extremely costly. So then people often do like they truncate the optimization. This is like the truncated backpropagation th through time, essentially. So you just consider a tiny window of updates within that uh, inner loop and then backpropagate within there to keep the memory costs reasonable. Okay, and then you you mentioned that uh, in your paper, exploration is 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 clearly a central issue, um, especially for few shot meta RL. 
what, can you talk about uh, the importance of exploration in MetaRL and the main methods used for exploration in MetaRL? So exploration is kind of the central uh, concept that makes MetaRL distinct from just meta learning uh, in general. So in meta learning, you might be given a new data set and you have to rapidly adapt to that new data set. In MetaRL, you actually have to collect the new data yourself. Um, and it might not be clear you know, how to do that or what data you need. So you have to explore to figure out what task you're in and what data you need to identify the task itself. Um, and that's kind of one of the central challenges in the few-shot MetaRL setting. And here you're talking about exploration at the task level, not at the meta level, right? Meta exploration, is this something you mentioned in a separate part of the paper? Yeah, meta exploration uh, was a bit distinct. So that's exploration in the space of exploration strategies. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if we want to unpack that that statement, <laughs> that statement more, but I guess first, so some of the methods that are used for exploration, right? There's end-to-end um, -end learning is common, uh, but it's difficult for really challenging exploration problems. So you can just do RL squared, uh, where your inner loop or you know the reinforced. I guess I'm not sure we actually have defined inner loop and outer loop so far in this discussion. But when we say inner loop, we mean the reinforcement learning algorithm that you are learning. When we say outer loop, we mean the reinforcement learning algorithm, that, the slow one that you're using to learn the inner loop, uh, which could just be like PPO or something along those lines. Um, and so you can just use the inner loop as a black box, and that can solve some exploration problems. But generally, more challenging exploration problems won't be solved by uh, RL squared and things that are just a complete black box. So people have tried building in more structure for exploration, uh, ranging from posterior sampling um, to more complicated methods, uh, often using task inference actually. So we mentioned task inference being this idea that you wanna uh, take actions or you know identify what task you're in. And often you might need to take actions to figure out what task you're in. And if you need to take actions to figure out what task you're in, um, one way to do that is by saying, okay, we're gonna give the agent a reward for being able to infer the task. Uh, there's some drawbacks to doing that directly, right? So you might be trying to infer the MDP, which is the transition function and the reward function. And there might be completely irrelevant information in that exploration process that you don't need. So if you're trying to figure out what goal to navigate to, uh, let's say in a kitchen, you're trying to figure out like where the robot should be. And maybe there's some paintings on the wall and the paintings on the wall are completely irrelevant to where you're supposed to be navigating right now to make someone's food. Um, and in that case, there are also algorithms to tackle that. So one that we like to highlight is Dream uh, from one of our co-authors on the paper, Evan. And there you actually learn what information is relevant first by doing some pre-training in the multitask setting. You figure out uh, what information would an optimal policy need, um, an informed policy. And then you separately learn an exploration policy to try and uncover the data that allows you to uh, execute the informed policy. There's a lot of concepts in this paper, I gotta say, compared <laughs> to the average paper. I guess that's the nature of survey papers. So I'm really glad you're here to help uh, us make sense of it. Uh, yeah, so we talked about um, a few different exploration methods. One that uh, came from our lab is the very bad paper, uh, which I think you already had Shimon on to talk about as well. It's a really cool method that allows you to actually quantify uncertainty in this task uh, inference that we just mentioned. So what the very bad does is trains a VAE separately to reconstruct transitions, um, and it trains a latent variable, mean invariance, in order to do that. And then you condition a policy on the inferred mean invariance. So you're explicitly conditioning on your uncertainty in the distribution of tasks. And you can actually frame that entire problem as what's called a BAMDP, or a Bayes Adapter MDP. Yeah, very bad treatment of uncertainty is so cool. That makes it really special uh, to me. And uh, I guess that's the, the magic of um, Variational inference, is that right? Yeah, I mean, it's variational inference plus conditioning on that uncertainty for the meta-learning uh, allows you to learn actually optimal exploration pretty easily. Cool. Should we move on to uh, supervision? Yeah, sounds good. So, uh, right, so we, like, um, mostly this is about, mostly uh, we focus on uh, the case where we have, like, reinforcement learning in the inner loop and reinforcement learning in the outer loop. Uh, and I mean, most of the R meta RL research is also in that setting, but like similarly as with has happened with the kind of term RL or especially deep RL, it sort of subsumed a lot of other uh, topics that also like are doing some kind of machine learning for control. So like imitation learning, for example, like often people just say RL and sometimes they mean something that's more like imitation learning. So we also have a similar thing happening in meta RL where there's a lot of like meta imitation learning uh, where you might be doing 
just kind of uh, like the I guess the most direct approach for that would be doing something like MAML for imitation learning. So it's like imitation learning is sort of just supervised learning of control. And then you could just take, take the supervised learning version of MAML to learn a uh, fast imitation learning initialization. But then you could have all these other variants as well, where you have like, uh, let's say you're trying to learn a um, imitation learning algorithm, which when it's shown a demonstration of a new task can do that as quickly as possible. Uh, you could you could have you could meta train that so that actually the um, the meta learning algorithm is still optimizing the reward of the task somehow. Like if you if you have access to the rewards, the outer loop could still be reinforcement learning. So now you have this setting where you have imitation learning in the inner loop and reinforcement learning in the outer loop. Uh, and then, then you would test it as a imitation learning algorithm. So you you show it a new demonstration, and and uh, and you are expecting it to adapt to that as quickly as possible. Uh, and then, of course, like all the other um, the uh, permutations of that same setting apply, uh, and and people have have done research on those. Then there's also uh, like unsupervised learning is is a big topic. So. Uh, and also people in MetaRL have looked into doing um, sort of unsupervised learning algorithms in the inner loop. <laughs> right. So, I mean, unsupervised in the inner loop um, could be useful if like, you just don't have access to rewards at test time, right? Um, and some algorithms that do this are like uh, heavy and learning algorithms. There's a lot of heavy and learning algorithms that just don't condition on reward. They're local and they're unsupervised. Um, in their inner loop, but the, in, the outer loop, as Riso mentioned, still uses rewards. So you're still meta learning this with rewards end to end. Um, I think there are there are a bunch of other papers that you know aside from heavy learning as well. But the idea there is that you just might not have access to rewards when you actually go to test. Um, There's also unsupervised in the outer loop. So if you're given one environment that's kind of like a sandbox you can play with, but you don't really have any known rewards, you can do some clever things to get a distribution of reward functions. They might prepare you for a reward function you're going to encounter at test time. So there during meta training, you create your own distribution of tasks or own distribution of reward functions. Um, and then there's also like, uh, so I guess that's unsupervised outer loop, unsupervised inner loop. You can also have a supervised outer loop where your inner loop is reinforcement learning. And there the idea is just like reinforcement learning in the outer loop uh, is very slow and it's a very weak supervision. And the cost of meta training is huge. Um, right, so we're learning very sample, efficient algorithms for test time through meta learning, but that blows up the cost of meta training. And if we can use stronger supervision uh, during meta training, then that can get us huge wins in terms of sample efficiency. Okay, that part I think I followed. It's kind of like how many ways can you put together a, a, a Lego kit? There's a lot yeah. of ways, right? Um, <laughs> so can can we talk about uh, some of the application areas where meta RL has been been important or or looks uh, promising in the future? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I mean, there's, I think it's a pretty recent paper by uh, Evan again, where they do um, uh, meta RL for this really cool code uh, feedback thing. So you have like a, a online, so this is a very specific thing, but it, just because it's on, on the top of my memory, uh, like you have a um, online coding platform where you try go on and learn programming and it's if if there's like an interactive program you're trying to code there it's really hard for the automated toolkit to give you good feedback on that so what they do is actually train a meta reinforcement learning algorithm or agent that like uh, provides good feedback there so, because like the students programs like uh, make a task distribution, which you then need to explore efficiently uh, to find like what kinds of bugs the students have figured out to implement there. Uh, so that's actually, they got like pretty promising results on the uh, on the benchmark there. Um, and, and that seems like it could tentatively be de deployed in the real world as well. And maybe uh, Jake can talk about the uh, other applications we cover in the paper. Yeah, we cover a bunch of other ones, but I guess to highlight here, um, like robot locomotion is a big one. So there, it's pretty common to try and train in simulation over distribution of tasks 
and then try and do sim to real transfer to a real robot in the real world, as opposed to trying to uh, do meta learning on a robot from scratch. Um, and there's some pretty cool algorithms that have been applied in order to do that. Import uh, by Kamieni et al, in particular being one of them, where you actually do this kind of multitask training I talked about before and task inference that I mentioned before, but you do it simultaneously while doing meta learning. So you'd have some known uh, information about the environment the robot's trying to walk in in your simulator. And uh, maybe we assume that at test time, this information wouldn't be known, like the exact location of all the rocks and steps um, and uh, sensory information isn't available to the actual robot in the real world. So what you can try and do is have the known representation, some encoding of that, and then you have your inferred representation, you have some encoding of that, and you can try and make these two things look very similar. Um, and that's been used in a number of robotics papers um, at the moment for some pretty cool um, effects. So I guess in addition to the robot locomotion problem, one application area we go into in the paper in some detail is the meta-learning from multi-agent RL problem. And there kind of just to summarize uh, concisely, you can view other agents as defining the task. So if you have a distribution of other agents, that pretty clearly creates for you a distribution of tasks, and then you can directly apply meta-learning. And that enables you to deal both with the, uh, you know, adapting to novel agents at test time, and that allows you to deal with maybe the um, non-stationarity introduced by the adaptation of other agents. So all the learning other agents are doing can be taken into account by your meta-learning. Um, your paper also discusses uh, using meta-RL with offline data. Can you say a couple things about that? Yeah, so as I, as I mentioned earlier, like uh, meta-reinforcement learning, it tries to create a sample-efficient adaptation algorithm in the few-shot setting anyway. Um, and that shifts a huge amount of the data and burden to meta-training. So you can imagine having an offline outer loop, um, right? So the meta training, if, it, if you're having such a large meta training burden, you can't really do that directly in the real world. So one thing you might wanna do is have some uh, safe data collection policy to gather a lot of data for you. And then you can immediately use offline meta RL in the outer loop to try and train your meta learning algorithm, having not actually taken any dangerous uh, actions in the real world yourself. Um, so that's kind of the offline uh, outer loop idea in meta RL. We also go into offline inner loop and different combinations of offline, online, inner loop, offline, online, outer loop. Um, but the idea with the offline uh, inner loop is that we're already trying to do, you know, you know, few shot learning. So at the limit of this, it's like you're given some data up front and you actually never have to do any sort of exploration in your environment. You can adapt immediately to some data someone hands you uh, at test time without doing any sort of exploration or any sort of data gathering. So of course we have, um... RL is, is generally framed in terms of MDPs, the Markov decision process. And in the case of meta-RL, um, can we talk about the MDP for the outer loop or the POMDP? What, what does that um, MDP look like in terms of the traditional components of state, action, and reward? Um, as we mentioned before, meta-RL defines a problem setting. And in this problem setting, there's a distribution of MDPs which could also be considered a distribution of tasks. Um, so your outer loop is computed, like for example, your return is computed in expectation over this distribution. Um, instead, you can actually view this distribution as a single object. In that case, it's a partially observable Markov decision process, also known as a POMDP. And what's different from a POMDP and an MDP, uh, in a POMDP, there's a latent state. So there's something the agent can't observe. And in this case, the latent state is exactly the MDP you are inhabiting, the agent is in at the moment. So your latent state would include the task identity. Uh, and so if you actually were to try and write out this POMDP, then the transition function would condition on this latent variable. Uh, your reward function would condition on this latent variable. Um, and then there's just kind of the action space left to define. Um, the action space is usually assumed to be the same across all these different uh, MDPs. And so that's usually just the same for the POMDP. Um, but there's also work trying to, uh, you know, loosen that restriction. So uh, someone from our lab, Zhang's recent paper, is trying to generalize across different uh, robot morphologies with different action spaces. Um, and there he's using hypernetworks, which is also other work we've done in our lab, um, hypernetworks and meta-RL. So kind of what is held constant and what changes between these? Uh, usually the action space is held constant, the state space is held constant, and then the reward function and the transition function depend on this latent variable. Um, but you can also try and relax the action space assumption as well. How practical is this stuff? Like, where is MetaRL today? I mean, you mentioned some application areas, but for, let's say, a practitioner, an RL practitioner, 
is meta rl something they really need to understand to do this stuff well or is it kind of exotic still and more forward-looking research type thing it's definitely uh more on the forward-looking edge of uh, deep rl research i would say like it's the whole idea that you need to learn these adaptive agents uh and and cut the computational cost at test time using using that like it is very appealing and it is actually like a very it it it, it has it's rooted in like a very practical consideration like what if your um your robot is deployed in a slightly different environment you would still want it to like be able to handle that well but um in practice i think mostly this is still a little bit speculative like and then there's also the aspect that the meta rl algorithms to some extent if you're doing if you're dealing with some like uh new environments where you need to adapt to get a good policy oftentimes what you end up doing is just taking a a policy that has memory so like let's say an rnn and then it just like so it can like it can do uh if it doesn't uh, observe the full state of the environment. It can like retain its observations in the memory and then uh, like figure out the details of the environment as it does as it goes. And that's essentially RL squared. Like that's like that's the essence of what RL squared does. Uh, whether whether you want to like call that meta RL in each instance, like maybe not. And do you really need to know everything about meta RL to actually do that? Again, maybe not. But that's kind of like. It, 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 in this kind of sense, the ideas are still uh, fairly pragmatic, and actually, like you can you can often find that the algorithm ends up behaving in a way that's essentially like adaptive learned adaptive behavior, uh, which is what the meta RL agents would do. Yeah, I guess to add on what Risto said, I think the practicality also depends on which of these kind of clusters you're in that we discussed. So in the few shot setting. I think it's uh, whether or not you call it meta RL, like do, trying to do sim to real transfer over distribution of tasks, which generally is meta RL, um, is an extremely practical tool, right? It's uh, very cleanly and directly addressing the sample inefficiency of uh, reinforcement learning and shifting the entire burden to simulation and meta training. Um, in the long horizon setting, I'm not so sure there's a practical use at the moment to uh, the multitask long horizon setting. But the single task long horizon setting seems to have some practical uses, like, you know, hyperparameter tuning. It's a particular way to do auto RL, right? Um, where instead of just using a manually designed algorithm, you're doing it end to end on the outer loop objective function. And so from that perspective, if you're trying to tune some hyperparameters of an RL algorithm, it's pretty practical if you're trying to run any RL algorithm. Um, it also is kind of, as Risto said, this emergent thing that uh, a lot of systems, a lot of generally capable systems will just have in it. Whether or not you're trying to do meta RL, uh, a lot of systems like you know large language models have these emergent in-context learning that occurs, uh, even if that wasn't directly trained for. So it's it's in some ways very practical, in other ways it's very not practical, but will arise regardless of what we try and do. Do you guys have? Uh, I know you've already mentioned a couple, but are there any other specific examples of meta RL algorithms that you're specifically excited about or uh, are your favorites? Uh, we talked about dream and and very bad. Yeah, those are those are definitely uh, really like thought provoking and and also dream dream is like they use dream in that uh, uh, the code grading thing. So like it turns out it's practical as well. Uh, one algorithm that for me personally has been especially thought provoking and kind of uh, impacted my own interests a lot is the learned policy gradient. Uh, the junior O paper uh, that I hinted at earlier, where they uh, uh, learn the objective function completely in the inner loop and show that like this is one of the few papers in MetaRL that shows this like sort of quite impressive form of transfer where you train the um, inner loop on like tasks that don't look anything like the tasks that you see at the test time. So in their particular case, it's like grid worlds to Atari. And I find that that's like sort of 
uh, thought provoking, even if the algorithm ends up not being super practical, but like the, the idea that, yeah, really like a, a meta learned system can transfer this way. And I think that's an exciting uh, capability that uh, would be, would be fun to see uh, appear even more in, in, in meta RL and elsewhere as well, of course. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a great example of a paper for the many shot setting. Um, and kind of in the few shot setting, I, as I mentioned, I'm pretty fond of this import um, idea that I think has been pretty useful in robotics as well, uh, where you try and simultaneously learn both the task representation and how to infer the task at the same time. So in regular DeepRL, we've seen an explosion of algorithms. And, uh, but recently we've seen the Dreamer and, and recently Dreamer version three from uh, Danjar Hafner et al. That beats a lot of algorithms without tuning and that suggests there's some maybe some pruning or conversions of the state-of-the-art family tree of, of our algorithms is maybe in order. I mean, maybe maybe there's some things we don't have to worry about as much or, or we don't have to... Uh, maybe we can uh, mentally trim the tree of algorithms we have to keep track of because Dreamer is kind of covering a lot of space. Do you see, uh, do you see any similar um, thing being possible in Meta-RL in terms of... Uh, algorithms being discovered that covers a lot of space or is is meta rl somehow different i mean it sounds like one of the main things i've gotten from this discussion is there's just so damn many combinations of things um so many different variations and settings that that it's it's um is is it is it uh is it is it different in that way um and that that we should not expect to find some unifying algorithm or do you think that may be possible well i guess dreamer v3 already will solve a huge chunk of meta rl problems so it's already a good start, um, but but I think that really there are different problem settings with pretty unique uh, demands in the meta learning setting, right? So if you have a very narrow distribution of tasks and you don't have to do much extrapolation at test time, it's kind of hard to beat a pretty simple task inference method. Um, and on the flip side, if you need a huge amount of generalization, I'm not sure like Dreamer is going to do any better than actually building in some uh, policy gradient into the inner loop to guarantee that you have some generalization. Um, so I, I think in that sense, it, it is kind of hard to say there's going to be one algorithm for all of meta learning uh, because of the different demands of each of the different problem settings discussed. Yeah, but I, I just want to stack on that a little bit in that um, the sort of black box style, um, like R squared inspired, that sort of very uh, gener general pattern of algorithm seems quite powerful and and has recently been demonstrated to do well in like quite complicated task distribution as well so it's like there's definitely some convergence there but maybe like a big reason why we see so many different kinds of algorithms in meta rl is that um it's also just like it's also just about learning about the problem and and the different features there's like you want to you're trying to understand more and and like uncover like the critical bits of like what are we what is the what is the challenge where and like uh, how can how can we so I I feel like the the mul, mul, many many algorithms that we see like some of them are just like kind of trying to answer a smaller question as well than than just like you know whether this is a really a state of the art contender for meta RL. So like naturally, some of them will kind of fall by the wayside as we go on. That makes sense. That's all part of uh, the research process, right? Mm -hmm. So in DeepRL, uh, we've seen that pretty minor changes to an MDP, um, we have to consider as a different task. And trained agents might no longer perform well with, with, a, with a slightly different MDP. Uh, for example, a robot maybe having slightly longer or slightly shorter legs or playing with a blue ball instead of a red ball. And my sense is for humans, we we can generalize quite well naturally. And so we might not really call that a different task. Like basically we might not chop up tasks so finely in such a, in such a fine way. And and I, I, I always think of that as that's just a property of our current generation of function approximators. Deep neural networks are very finicky and they generalize a little bit, but they don't really extrapolate. They mostly interpolate as the way I understand it. So do you think that the, the facts that our current function approximators um, have limited generalization 
forces us to look more towards meta RL. And if we were to somehow improve, uh, come up with improved function approximators that could maybe generalize a bit better, then we wouldn't need as much meta RL. Do you think there's any truth to that or, or, or no? So I think this seems like a distinction kind of between the, whether we are talking about the meta RL problem setting or the algorithms for meta RL. Like if you think of the task distribution, uh, it's, it's, it's just, you know, a, a complicated world where your agent has to, like, it can't know zero shot the expected behavior. So it has to like go and explore somehow the environment and then do the best it can with the information it has ca gathered. And I feel like, you know, that idea is, is not going to go away. Like that's sort of how a lot of the real world works as well. So like in some sense, thinking about that, that problem setting, it, it seems very relevant going, going forward, whether or, or not we're going to use like the specific methods we came up with, like that's, that's more of an open question. And, and like, I guess there's some hints that in many cases we can get away with like fairly simple ideas there. But I don't think it's going to be like, we come up with some new architecture <clears throat> and magically we don't need to train to generalize anymore. Like, I think that you're still going to have to train if you want your, uh, well, it's, you know, the universal function approximator to generalize, I think you're going to have to train over a distribution of tasks intentionally to try and get that generalization. Whether the task distribution is explicit or implicit, um, like in more like large uh, language models, I think it not doesn't necessarily matter. But I think that trying to, you know, expecting some um, machine learning model to generalize without being explicitly trained to generalize is kind of asking uh, more than is feasible. All right, we're going to jump to some submitted questions now. These uh, there's actually three questions from Zohar Rimon, uh, a researcher at Technion. Thank you so much, for Zohar, for the questions. And the first one is, what do you think are the barriers we'll need to tackle to make MetaRL work on realistic, high-dimensional task distributions? Great question, Zohar. So, um, yeah, I think really kind of the, it's sort of in the question, the answer as well, that I, I believe that like the barrier uh, keeping us from generalizing to these uh, more complex task distributions is really that we don't quite have like a good training task distribution where we would train the meta RL agent that would then generalize to the other tasks. So there's been efforts in this direction, right? So there was a meta world. Uh, which which proposed like a fairly complicated robotics benchmark with a number of tasks and a lot of parametric variation within each of them, but still like not quite there. Like I guess my intuitive answer is that like it doesn't have enough of the categories of tasks. Then there's also um, alchemy, uh, which also didn't catch on. I don't quite remember why, but uh, that was that was also like trying to pose this like complicated task distribution and see if we can study meta RL there. And now DeepMind has their uh, Xland, I think it's called, uh, which seems really uh, cool and, and has like a lot of variety between those tasks. But I guess the drawback there is that it's closed. So nobody else gets to play around with it and like evaluate whether, whether that is like uh, solving, whether, you know, you get reasonable generalization from those tasks. So I would say that, you know, we need better uh, training task distributions for this. Okay, and then he asks, some meta-RL methods directly approximate the belief, like very bad Perl, and some don't, like RL squared. Are there clear benefits for each approach? I think you guys touched on some of this. Is there anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I guess um, if you can directly quantify the uncertainty, it's pretty easy in a lot of cases to learn an optimal exploration policy, or at least easier. Um, however, if you're doing task inference-based methods, you might just represent, if you're trying to infer the MDP, there might be irrelevant information in the MDP that you don't need to learn for the optimal control policy. Um, so you might just waste your time learning things you don't need to learn. And then Zohar asks, would love to hear your thoughts about DeepMind's ADA, that's the adaptive agent. Uh, do you think it will mark a turning point for MetaRL? And again, you, um, Risto, you just mentioned Xland, and I think ADA is, is, is based on Xland. Is there anything more to add there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's really exciting work, actually. Like, I think it's a really strong demonstration of the kinds of things that you can get a big black box meta learner to do. So you take a big, big pool of tasks, and then you train this, like, big memory network policy on it, and, and it can really generalize in quite impressive ways. Uh, but, I mean, 
like turning point i don't know like you know i think there's always been a contingent of meta rl researchers who would have said that uh you know a big recurrent neural network and a complicated task distribution is kind of all we need so r squared for example kind of already starts from that idea and now it feels a little bit like ada is like figuring out like what do you actually need to make that idea really work and and scale it up so um i think it remains to be seen whether that's a turning point it it to me it feels like it's on the con continuum uh to to a large extent but uh it is it is i guess it is at least a like very bright spot in the in the uh, spectrum right now yeah I, i'm not sure it, like it proposed anything novel uh that we hadn't seen before right i think like you know it was a huge distribution of tasks it talked a lot about using attention or transformers or at least some sort of attention in your memory um i think they did some sort of curriculum design and i think they did um, it's like student teacher distillation thing. So there were a lot of kind of a hodgepodge of ideas. And I'm not sure it really added too much novel on the methods side, but it was definitely an establishment of, hey, we can do this really cool, uh, you know, demonstrate that we can do this really cool thing and get these really cool generalization capabilities um, out of a generally uh, capable recurrent agent over a complex task distribution, as Risto said. So maybe more a synthesis of existing ideas than than some very new concepts. Yeah, that sounds about right. So when I was preparing for this episode, I was looking back at uh, RL squared and, and you know, Ilya Setskiver was giving a talk about this. Um, and at the time, it was it was about OpenAI Universe, uh, which uh, which was like um, the Atari learning environment, but with way more games. And that was something that kind of just fell by the wayside ba back in the day. I guess it didn't uh, either we weren't ready for it or it didn't the meta learning didn't really happen. Do you guys have any any comments about uh, opening a universe or what 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 happened back then? I guess was it was RL just not powerful enough for for such a task distribution? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I I remember universe. Uh, I don't actually know what was the specific issue they ran into with that, but I think it's just generally. I think what we're finding here is that really like designing designing a task distribution in which you can train these like more capable agents is, is a really complicated problem. Like there's been multiple really high profile efforts in this direction. And somehow still we are like uh, um, not really there, I feel like, or I mean, maybe Exxon 2.0 is that, but we we don't we don't get to play with it. So I don't know. But like, yeah, uh, I, I think it's just a testament to the complexity of that particular issue, problem there that it's just, um, it's hard to come up with really good task distributions for meta RL. So this was a very long, very detailed paper, 17 pages of references, actually more than 17. Um, it was absolutely mind bending, um, honestly, reading this and um, trying to keep track of all these, these ideas. Uh, I, I'm sure we've just scratched the surface of it today, uh, but can you, can you tell us uh, a bit about the experience of, of writing this paper I think you mentioned a little bit in the beginning about um, how some of your ideas changed as you went through it. But uh, can you talk about the experience of, of writing? What's it like writing a survey paper? I can't imagine how much reading you had to do. Yeah, I think we alluded to the before, but we kind of had a couple of false starts. Uh, we didn't really know what we were doing, right? This was a lot of trial and error on our part um, since the very beginning. And we kind of sat down and like uh, methodologically, methodologically proposed different uh, ways in which meta RL algorithms could differ. We are like, you know, okay, how can the inner loop be different? How can the outer loop be different? How can the policy we're adapting be different? And it turned out that just wasn't at all how the literature was organized and didn't reflect anything out there in the world. Um, so we had to completely redesign our framework, um, which was a big effort. And then after redesigning the framework, actually keeping track and organizing people on a project this large was something I'd never done before. Um, and, you know, I think we had to come up with processes just for that. And that was pretty difficult. Um, so I know Risto has like multiple spreadsheets where we keep track of who's, uh, assigned to what conference and what paper has been read by who. And, um, I think that was a pretty useful tool in and of itself. Yeah, definitely. Like, uh, it turned into a project management exercise to a large extent. Uh, as much as uh, as, <laughs> as much as it was about writing, it was just like you know managing the complexity. So in the future, do you think we will all be using um, meta RL algorithms only? 
like or algorithms designed by MetaRL, maybe I should say, or because like right now they're they're generally all hand designed, as you mentioned in the paper, hand engineered. Do you think this is uh this is just an early phase, pre-industrial revolution type thing? <laughs> well, I wouldn't be surprised, I guess, if every RL algorithm used had some automatically tuned component, whether that is directly using meta RL or some other form of auto RL. And I would also be surprised if it turned out that the long horizon multitask setting wound up giving us something that could beat state-of-the-art methods we're hand designing, you know, they're smartest engineers ourselves. Um, but that said, like, I think emergent meta learning, um, whether, you know, meta learning, whether explicitly designed as part of the problem in the few shot setting or an emergent capability, like in the LLMs we're seeing now, uh, I think that's going to be in a lot of products from now into the far future. Any comment on that one, Risto? Yeah, yeah, I, I feel I kind of feel the same. Like it's there's definitely a lot of people who believe that uh, the, the you you can do better. Like you know, learned optimizers and those kinds of things are very relevant here. And and I think a lot of people are looking into how to actually make that uh, make make those things work. Um, that said, like I don't think we have anything like that deployed so maybe we're missing like some bigger piece of that puzzle like how do we actually like get uh you know through the uncanny valley and to optimize learned optimizers or learned rl algorithms that are actually better than human designed ones so there's 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 work to do there but i i don't rule it out like i think it's it's an exciting uh problem to to work on this might be a bit of a tangent but um even if, you know, like LPG didn't create state-of-the-art, uh, you know, it, it, what was it, state-of-the-art circuit like 2016 or 2013 or something using algorithms in the outer loop that are state-of-the-art now, even if it the inner loop wasn't better than anything we have lying around, it might be the case that for particular types of problems, uh, like if we're trying to meta-learn an offline inner loop, uh, which is a pretty difficult thing to ha manually hand engineer, or we're trying to um, meta-learn um, an inner loop that can deal with non-stationarity. So for instance, for continual learning, it might be the case that those, uh, the meta learning in the outer loop can produce better learning algorithms there than humans can hand uh, engineer. I think that's kind of yet to be seen. And is there anything else I, I should have asked you, you two today? Uh, is chat GPT-3 conscious? Uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm kidding. No, I think, we're, I think we covered this pretty extensively. <laughs> Lately, okay, well, 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 since we're going there, let, let's just take a moment and say, because I've started to ask people about this, what do you guys think of AGI and is, is MetaRL uh, going to be a key uh, step to getting to AGI? Ooh, this is a risky, <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, I mean, like, this is a, uh, <clears throat> carefully now, Risto, but uh, yeah, like, I think if you want to do, if you want to train agents that can tackle, like, problems in the real world, they're going to require some level of adaptive behavior, most likely. Like it's, it, it seems a little, well, I mean, maybe you can get around that by doing a really careful design of the agent itself and that kind of thing. But like, probably it's better if you can adapt to the environment. So in that sense, like this idea of learning to adapt, learning agents that can like take cues from the environment and, uh, and act upon that is, is really uh, central to like, just deploying stuff in the real world. So like, again, the um, meta RL, emergent meta learning seems seems important. And and on the other hand, we kind of see like these kinds of meta learning behaviors uh, come out of things like ChatGPT. like it can do in context learning and stuff like that, even though it hasn't been actually explicitly trained on um, on like a particularly an explicit meta learning objective. So I would say that we're definitely going to, going to see at least emergent meta reinforcement learning in the generally capable agents we're going to be looking at in the future. Yeah, I agree with what Risto said, and I should also tread carefully here. And to be clear, I was joking about the um, you know consciousness of chat GPT-3, <laughs> lest I be misquoted. Um, <laughs> But I do think that fast learning is kind of one of the major hallmarks of intelligence. And so regardless of whether we design that manually or it's an emergent property of our systems, um, fast adaptation, fast learning uh, will be a product in the generally capable systems going forward. So there has been uh, a meme that's been popping up every once in a while more recently is that do we even need RL? 
like Ian LeCun had you know, a slide not long ago saying basically let's try to either minimize RL or or use um, more like sh uh, shooting methods um, and learn better models and just not use not need RL. And uh, we had Arvind Srinivas from OpenAI saying that these um, kind of what maybe what you were saying, Jake, is that emergent RL was just happening inside the transformer. Um, in say decision transformer, which isn't really even doing RL, it's just supervised learning. So do you guys think that RL is always gonna be an explicit thing that we do? Or is it just gonna be vacuumed up by these, you know, another emergent, uh, emergent property of these, um, these bigger models and, and we, we don't have to worry about RL anymore? Uh, well, I guess to start, like not to split hairs on definitions of terms, but I guess kind of to split hairs on definitions of terms, um, like some people would say when, when Jan says that RL isn't necessary, we should just do like world models. <laughs> a lot of people would call that model-based RL. Um, I think if I'm not misremembering, I think Michael Littman, former advisor, uh, would you know definitely fall into that camp. So I think we could you could make a lot of people less uh, upset by not saying that um, that's not RL. For, um, so that's maybe comment number one. Uh, and comment number two is we really shouldn't do RL at all uh, if we can avoid it. It's a pretty weak form of supervision. And so if we can, uh, you know, we have this whole uh -huh. section on supervision. If we can at all avoid RL in the outer loop, that's better. And we can still clearly wind up with reinforcement learning algorithms in the inner loop. Yeah, I'm I'm on the same same uh, lines here as Jake for sure. That like, um, if if you can get get away without using RL, go do it. Like it's probably going to be better. But like. It, it's it's hard to <laughs> hard to imagine like at least to me it's not clear how you would solve well i don't know what what's a uh, concise description of a problem where surely you need rl but there's problems where i have a hard time imagining that you can get get around that without something like rl being actually deployed there well, ChatGPT uses it, and it's it's common. So. <laughs> yeah, that's the I mean, takeaway from this. I'm, I'm invested in it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you can remember one thing, so um, so I gotta thank you both. This has been fantastic, uh, Jacob Beck and Risto Vuario. Thanks so much for sharing your time uh, and your insight with the TalkRL audience today. Awesome. Thanks so much, Robin. Yeah, thank you.